Hey, hello, and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. This week, we are joined by a special guest, Massachusetts General Hospital Critical Care and Pediatric Surgeon, Dr. Cornelia Griggs. Remember, we take your questions each episode, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We're going to get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to this week's sponsors, The Jordan Harbinger Show, Blinkist, and HelloFresh in the show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, James, uh, we're going to have a fascinating conversation with Dr. Cornelia Griggs about what's happening in COVID and healthcare. But I want to start off with just if anyone, if anyone out there, I don't think there are very many of you, if any, had any teeny doubt that the January 6th violent, deadly mob assault in the Capitol was incited by Donald Trump and carried out by his followers with the intent to overturn an honest election, then the emails released by the January 6th House Committee this week of Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, that seals it. The Trump sycophants, seeing the, the unhinged danger that they had unleashed, were begging the man who started it to try to stop it, call off the dogs. Among the more interesting of those emails, Donald Trump Jr., little Donnie, asking Meadows to get his father to stop it because A, little Donnie's a coward, B, Trump doesn't take bad news from anyone, and C, he knew his father was pleased with the work of the mob. And then there were the Fox News fakers, Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity, worried this was hurting the cause. What was the cause? It was the Trump-Ingram-Hannity cause. And this is going bad, they privately emailed Mark Meadows. Then that evening on Fox, they changed their line publicly. It really wasn't that bad. Maybe it was some Antifa radicals fomenting this, and these aren't the upstanding MAGA people that we know. Now, James, this is just the tip of the iceberg. A lot more is going to come out in January. Uh, I'm not sure what difference it's going to make. I don't know if people are so locked in. Uh, they aren't going to be as shocked as they should be by all this. But we're going to find out an awful lot about, awful lot more about the violent criminality of Trump world uh, in January. Well, I think we're going to find out more than people suspect. This is what I think we're going to find out. We're going to find out that multiple, and I'm not talking about two or three, members of Congress were aiding and abetting this insurrection, all right? I, I, I repeat this because it's very important. If I drive the getaway car, or if I, if I draw the diagram of the bank and somebody gets shot in a holdup that I participate in, I'm just as guilty, all right? You got to understand you that. You are. And hopefully somebody in the Department of Justice understands this, that they are members of Congress that aided and abetted a criminal act. I think that that's what this investigation is going to show in multiple members. The second thing I think is what we're going to find out that just one deal that went wrong in their planning. I think that their strategy was that for somehow or another they had this crazy-ass idea that Antifa, whatever that is, because I don't know what Antifa is. I don't, maybe I, I, I don't know anybody in it. I don't know where its headquarters is. I don't know who its CEO is or anything else. They were counting on them to show up and start this massive bloodbath, and Trump would heroically come in and invoke the Insurrection Act. 
And everybody came at their appointed place, but Antifa didn't show up. So that's so then they had to take it out on the Capitol Police. I think that when they when they at the end of the day, now the first thing I'm almost certain of. The second is is some conjecture, but I but I think it's conjecture with a reason. And the third thing I think is we're gonna get surprised even more. They're gonna come up with stuff that the most creative people in the world couldn't think about. This was a massive, massive criminal act with many different participants in it. And I, I hope to God and I pray that the Justice Department of the United States is committed to enforcing the laws of the United States because that's what we need. Yeah, that's I what agree. I think, about I, this you know, I, I, I think your point about uh, counting on Antifa um, it was interesting that the Ingrams of the world immediately started talking about that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they had prior knowledge. I'm not sure. Let me just say one more thing about Mark Meadows, who was a sniveling excuse of a man. Oh. Recall he tried to sabotage House Speaker John Boehner back in 2013 or 14. And then when he failed, he came into Boehner's office. He got on his hands and knees, literally got on his hands and knees and begged forgiveness. And then he tried to sell him out two years later. He raised the birther issue during his campaign. He is just, as I say, a sniveling excuse of a man. He was real. He, he looked like he was going to cooperate. He was reeled in so fast by Trump. Uh, and now his refusal to testify, he's been found in contempt by the full house. And the plan, and this is why your point about the Justice Department is so important. The plan is to run the clock, to delay, to appeal, to go to every court they can go to until they hope Kevin McCarthy and the other GOP Quislings take control of the House. And the one way to assure that doesn't happen is a Justice Department indictments. You know, sometimes you see someone and you have a human emotion. It's not justified, but it's human emotion. I, 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 at some level, I feel sorry for Mark Meadows. He's a really pathetic person. And his, like, his daughter, according to him, found something in a place in Colorado that disproves the theory of evolution, all right? This is the level that, of human being that you're dealing with, all right? This guy is never gonna be confused with someone's fault, but he had this job. He was a big right-wing member of Congress. He had the job. He's in more trouble than he knows. It's finally starting to dawn on him, and he's just gonna start crying again. And you know, if I, Mark Meadows, if I was you, I would start crying. If yeah. I was that stupid, I would cry. Yeah. I really would. And, and get in your hands and knees again when you're doing it, right? Yeah, get, 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 get in down. your hands and knees and right. go to that Snivel. Jurassic Park with your daughter and unearth more evidence that the earth is 5,000 years old. That, that, that's a level of freaking nuttiness that, that you're dealing with here. And remember, this guy was basically running the United States. I mean, he was the adult in the room. Well, that's, yeah, that's why the, you know, Donnie, little Donnie and uh, Ingram oh. and Hannon and the other, they wrote Mark Meadows. I mean, it is really remarkable that they had to go to somebody because they were all afraid of Trump because he would just blow up at him and yell and scream uh, because Trump was liking this. Trump was happy until it turned uh, late afternoon of January the 6th. They, they had the Antifa talking points. I, I right after it happened, it was all well. Yeah, it, it, this is the both siderism they were doing. Well, yeah, there was some people that shouldn't have done that, but there were some Antifa people there. There was, well, of course, there were none. 
Yeah. Of course, it was all bullshit. And also, of course it was, it was all made it, up. It, there were FBI infiltrators fomenting it. If, yeah, I mean. Right, that, that right. Was, it just, it just, and of course, the reason that Mark Meadows said that the National Guard will protect our people is they were fully expecting that there'd be a, 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 a holy war, an accelerationist yep. event where the, the triumphant right would, would destroy the left in the Battle of Capitol Hill. That was all in their planning. They all, I don't know why, how, how in the fuck did anybody think that anybody was going to show up and do the Battle of Armageddon with a bunch of crazy-ass people from around the country? I don't know, but that's what they thought. Yeah. And that was pretty clear. They were, they were going to have, they were going to use the United States military it declared a, 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 it used the Insurrection Act to stay in power. And they're going to find that out. And, and all of the evidence points that way. Yeah. It's, it's so stupid. You say, well, no, nah, hey, no one's that dumb. Oh, yeah. The one thing we have known, the, the one thing that we have learned in the Trump era is there are two things you never say. Oh, no one's going to fucking believe that. Oh, yeah, they will. Oh, yeah, they will. Okay. And the second thing is, no one is that stupid. Yes, they are. Yeah, and the third yeah, thing yes. is, you know, they've gone as low as you can go. No, 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 no. They'll find no. the lower. Yeah, they'll get low. Yeah. Okay, we've got to have three. You're right. We yeah. can't have two. we yeah. got to have three. You're right. There's no, there's, you know, we talked about this. The Chafalaya River, which runs in Louisiana, right. according to legend, has no bottom. Right. <laughs> okay. That's, that's yeah, a Chafalaya, man. Right. Yeah, Chafalaya ain't, ain't no bottom. What's he think? <laughs> oh, no, they'll never top this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They could top that. Just stand by, <laughs> wait and see. You know, before we leave this subject, uh, I want to pay another tribute to Liz Cheney, who is engaging what may well be a career ending uh, in politics. She is a staunch, down-the-line conservative. You and I disagree with her probably on 95% of her votes. But she personifies integrity and principles. And you know, someday, James, someday, her grandchildren are going to look at this and read about this and see her as a profile in courage, no matter how this election turns out uh, next year. I just would hate to be Mark Meadows or Kevin McCarthy's grandchildren 25 years from now. So I actually think Liz's political career is just getting started. I mean, she's 55 years old. She was going to be remembered as being courageously right about the biggest thing that ever happened in the history of the United States Capitol, all right? Clearly, at least since 1812, I get somebody to say what to go do it. And uh, she's actually pretty remarkable. She has a bunch of children, and she was telling me one of her daughters, and I happen to be a rodeo fan. We, I grew up in rural Louisiana. We'd have the, the rodeo every year at LSU. And her daughter, one of her daughters is a professional barrel rider, which is a hell of a skill that you take a horse and you ride it around three barrels and come in. And, you know, that she's, Liz is really a, a, a child of the West. And, you know, when she makes up her mind about something, uh, you know, uh, she makes up her mind. And she has her mind made up. And I, I think her political career is just getting underway. And, and I think people are going to respectfully and righteously remember that, Whatever it was, she, she spoke up. 
She was one of only two Republicans who voted uh, the contempt citation for Mark Meadows. Uh, right. It, it's, it's, I guarantee you she thought twice about it. They are, they are quislings. That's not a term that I use lightly. They are quislings. Uh, tell, tell our audience who quisling is, just so we throw the word around, but it's important that we... Yeah, he was a Norwegian them, who, right? uh, when, the, um, uh, uh, when the Nazis... Uh, came over and uh, uh, were invading Norway. He went and he cut a deal with the Nazis and he ran Norway because he was, uh, uh, you know, he betrayed his country. And he ran Norway for about three years and his name has been synonymous with someone who really, you know, is a traitor to their country's principles. And that's what I think these are. Yes, I agree. And I I congratulate you on, on a proper historical comparison. Professor, the uh, professor of trashology, is it trashology? Trashology. That is is really an honor. Thank you, sir. Well, for my endowed chair, uh, I sit and pontificate (laughs) on things. (laughs) I told somebody, shit, I just just swapped spit with white trash. I probably swapped tobacco juice in my younger days. (laughs) Hey, James, one more thing. I I got a prediction. I got a prediction. It's in line with what, what our kind of our... Hope was uh, all along, and I'm not confident of it, but I'm better than 50-50. I think the voting rights bill compromise with Joe Manchin is going to clear the Senate by the end of the year. They're going to figure out a way around the filibuster, and um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to happen. There's very little, you know, what, there's two weeks left. But I, I'm more confident now that's going to happen than I was a week ago or a month ago. I, I am more confident of, of, of the voting rights than I am Bill Back better. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I look. I hope I'm wrong. We'll build back better. But I don't know. You know, we'll talk about this late in the show. I, I got to tell you, we have engaged in something. Well, if we don't get build back better, it's a disaster. You know, actually, 2021 has been a hell of a year. A hell of a year. Now, it, would it be a, a, a much better year if we get voting rights before the end of the year? How, yes. I mean, we got Bill back, but it's not dependent on that. It's not, James. And the other thing is, look, if you remember, this congressional session runs two years. So the reason you have to have voting rights first is because they're already primary slated for the spring. And they are affected by this. And it takes a while to get some of the changes if they enact them uh, into, uh, into law. Build back better. You can adopt that, you know, next January, you know, 22nd. Right. Right, and you can uh, change it. Right, so you know, um, yeah. so I, I agree. I think I think they need it. I think they need them both, but uh, they really need the voting rights first. Yep, uh, and you know, hopefully uh, that they'll push it through. I mean, yep. there's, but there's a, they have a a a hell of a story to tell here. They really do. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things I want to talk about a little bit, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be talking about it on TV more in the future, is the democratic messaging in 2022. And, okay, in, in politics, it's, it, it's true. You have to be for something, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you got to tell people what you're for and talk about the good things you did. What this message lacks, in which I think they need, is we don't want to go back. Okay? You told me how bad it is. We don't want to go back to Clorox. We don't want to go back to insurrections. We don't want to go back to, to, to having stock buybacks by millionaires as opposed to lifting people out of poverty, all right? We don't want to go back. And, and, that, and, and to just say, it, whenever they, like, 
scream about the supply chain or inflation or gas prices. So do you, you really think that, that 2020, you think we're not better off today than we were a year ago? What world do you live in? Well, I think right. we're going to get into some of that with our questions today. So, I, I, so, I know we will. So okay, we can. I, I'm you, just. I am. It's a good I, you point. Know me. And you can. I, you can elaborate I am on it. Right. Yes. No. No. I am that's good. And that's I'll elaborate on it more because I do think that's a missing element of forward-looking democratic message. All right. Now, all you, you want to go back? We want to go forward. All you listeners, stay tuned because because uh, Professor Carville is going to elaborate more. He does. He elaborates and he repeats himself. <laughs> Hey, we got a unique sponsor this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show, which is a podcast we love over here. Since you're already listening to us, you should be listening to The Jordan Harbinger Show, too. It's foolproof logic. Jordan Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you better informed, more critical, a more critical thinker, so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening. Even inside your own brain, he talks to everyone, from neuroscientists to counterfeiters to astronauts, authors, thinkers, and performers. Some favorites are when Jordan talks to an FBI hostage negotiator who offers techniques on getting people to like and trust you. In another episode, he talks to an art forger who was in a run from the feds and the mafia. I don't know who you'd least like to be caught by then. Oh, I got you got to be uh, I, I, Hell, I think I'd take the FBI in that case. <laughs> they may imprison you. They ain't going to kill you. You also need to check out when he sits down with Andy Norman to help you find a better way to think, along with many other fascinating guests. James, that is fascinating. Well, I, I'm pissed off at this guy. All right? He gets to be one of the best Apple podcasts of the year, and we don't. I cannot think of something that sounds more interesting than this. Yeah. It, it, you know, what, what's good is sometimes you have smart people and they're never saying anything. This is a smart person who thinks of smart things and shares them with other smart people. Jordan's a good interviewer. He has great guests. And he focuses on pulling useful, practical insights out of these subjects. You know, we, we definitely are fans of the concept, and we're going to be fans of the reality very soon. And if it's not He's worth checking out... to advertise on, on interesting places where interesting people tune in. Exactly. So. If, if that's not worth checking out, I don't know what is. Right. Uh, we, we really think you'll enjoy the show, and we, and we think that there's a lot to like. Check out jordanharbinger.com slash start jordanharbinger.com slash start for some episode recommendations or search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, James Carville, we thought that our long COVID nightmare was ending. Normalcy was right around the corner. Then the uptick in Delta cases and the new Omicron variant have raised concerns, to put it mildly, just as we're planning festive holiday celebrations and travel. You know, we have a fascinating Sunday Zoom call, James, as you know, with some heavy hitters. But all of us have been dazzled, educated, and forewarned with occasional appearances from our special guest today, Dr. Cornelia Griggs, a pediatric surgeon at Mass General, a board-certified critical care specialist, and special expertise 
expertise in health services research. And she's only in her 30s. I don't know what she does for the other two hours a day. Cornelia, we are delighted to have you here today. Let me just ask you the question that many people, if not all people are asking you. The virus seems to be surging in Europe, double the cases every day in Denmark and Norway, which are heavily vaccinated. Up in your state of Massachusetts, there's been a huge uptick we're still the le below the levels of a year ago, but is there a sense of fear in, in your medical community that we're headed back to those dark days? So I would say the feelings are apprehensive and mixed. And there's some scary news about the Omicron variant and the recent uptick in cases. And there is tempering news and reason to believe that maybe the increase in cases that we're seeing right now could potentially be more mild. Um, but then again, as we have all experienced, and as I have said in the past, every three weeks we are in a new pandemic and the knowledge changes and the warnings change as we learn more and as the science improves. So um, we are seeing a tidal wave of new cases of COVID, I would say. And what is interesting to me right now is that I have more personal acquaintances with COVID at this moment in time than at any other time in the pandemic. Um, and wow. that to me is a worrisome signal. Um, but I am also very pleased to say that all of those acquaintances are are indeed having a mild course so far or have just recently recovered from a very, you know, mild course. Most of them are healthy. Most of them are young. All of them were vaccinated and boosted or of the children I know that were positive, they at least had had their first um, dose of the vaccine. So... That's an interesting number. Um, it's still too early to tell if this uptick in cases is going to represent um, another hospitalization crisis because the hospitalizations always lag behind the increase in cases and the number of deaths always lag behind the hospitalizations. Cornelia, what advice are you giving to patients, friends, your own family for the holidays? Yeah. So a lot of people have either sent me a text message or an email recently saying, I'm invited to this holiday party. What should I do? Um, now is a really good time to proceed cautiously. I don't want to be Scrooge, but... Um, it's, it is a really, really risky time to go to a company hospital party unmasked with a large group of people, um, even if you're vaccinated. We are seeing a ton of vaccine breakthrough in the cases that are happening right now, and it's still unclear whether that um, represents waning immunity from the initial vaccine doses because we know immunity will drop after six months or if this represents an element of vaccine escape from the Omicron variant, because um, our ability to sequence the new variant in the United States compared to other countries is still 
rather limited and slow. Um, but I can tell you, we are seeing a lot of breakthrough cases. So um, I'm not saying cancel Christmas, go be with your families, especially if everyone is vaccinated, especially if people are generally healthy. But for people who are vulnerable in vulnerable populations or immune compromised, it is a, a really important time to be extra cautious. And how about travel? Travel, again, um, it's, it's going to depend on who you are, what your health conditions are, what your risk tolerance is. But um, it's very likely that someone sitting on the plane or train next to you may be asymptomatic but positive and transmitting the virus. But planes overall have not been a huge source of spread. Um, but if you are traveling, it is a really good idea to bring rapid tests with you so that if you do develop any signs and symptoms or have any worries that you may have been exposed, that you can test and know and have a backup plan and buy travel insurance and make sure that you know where you're going to go if you do develop symptoms. And just know that there's so much virus out there right now and so much community spread that wherever you go, there's a chance you're going to get stuck and have to quarantine. And wear, and wear an N95 mask on the plane. Yes, and wear an N95 mask <clears throat> on the plane. Yes. Right. And you, you told us the other day, because I've now thrown away all my cloth mask, uh, to wear the surgical paper yeah. mask uh, instead of the, the, the cloth mask. Yeah. I, I, I just, at this point, based on what we know about masking, um, I, if all you have access to is a cloth mask, fine. But um, the average person should be wearing a surgical mask, a, a paper ear loop mask um, for their daily activities out in pub public, whether that's grocery shopping or getting a haircut or um, going to school. It's a good idea to wear a surgical mask. If you can- Let me try, yeah. let me try one more and turn it over to James. Um, you have said all along that vaccinations are essential, that, you know, it just changes everything. In America, I think we are 61% fully vaccinated, 70% over, over 12, 87%, I think over 65. Is there a level after which we're close to herd immunity uh, and there's no big worry or is that a false hope? Yeah. So a lot of people have been talking about herd immunity since the beginning of the pandemic and there are different theories from epidemiologists and virologists on whether or not that is a realistic goal or even a benchmark we should be talking about. A lot of people use a threshold of 80%. That's what a lot of other countries internationally have been striving for in terms of vaccination percentages. Um, but as we're seeing right now, when there is a vulnerable host population, the virus will continue to mutate and there will be new variants. And I, I do think it's likely that the coronavirus will continue to evolve and change such that we will deal with it more like we deal with the seasonal flu. And there does certainly seem to be, for whatever reason, a seasonal element, at least in the Northeast right now, to COVID. And we don't always have a great or perfect understanding of why that is. Um, although certainly people gathering indoors in colder weather may contribute. You know, in, in August, the South was 
dealing with a major wave. So we we don't have a perfect explanation for the science around seasonality yet, but I, I do think it's likely that, um, you know, that SARS-CoV-2 will eventually behave more like the flu and that there are still, every year of my career, I have taken care of, you know, one to three healthy children who die of flu. And um, the flu can be deadly, but it is not something that is massively disruptive to our systems and society. And I think it's it's probable that COVID will become the same and that you, we may need various boosters or um, that the vaccine program will change. And I know that's not what people want to hear because we all so desperately want this pandemic to be over and done with and move on with our lives. But um, we're still changing. We're still evolving and the knowledge is evolving with the virus. James Carvin. Dr. Greg, thank you for being on the show. When this thing broke in March of 2020, we, we, we got hit hard in Louisiana, all right? And so I did some research because I was teaching undergraduates in Baton Rouge. And as I appreciate it, and I think you, you're MPH, the foundational number in epidemiology is the r naught number. And I told my students, the first question on the exam is going to be, what is r naught? All right? Yeah. And so tell us about r naught and where do you think we are with Omicron and r naught? or not. Yeah. Just bring us into why this is such a big yeah. ass deal. Yeah. So r not is a really important value um, for infectious epidemiologists. And for the record, I'm not an infectious disease epidemiologist, but a lot of physicians like me and a lot of those of us with a strong interest in public health um, have become right. armchair infectious right. epidemiologists. Right. So the r not is a value that gives us an idea of a of the transmissibility of the virus. How infectious is it? How, how, um, you know, there's other values that tell us how fast the virus spread and what the doubling time is, but R naught is a really important value. And um, the R naught of Delta worked out to be somewhere in the four to five range. Excuse me just a second, Des. What we're saying is, doesn't R not reflect if I get it, how many other people I affect? Yes. Okay, so let's just correct. give third That's grade explanation. One gets it. it, three other people get it. Yes, All right. Exactly. So exactly. where was Delta and where do we think Omicron is now? Yeah, so Delta landed at about an R not of four to five. And the it's still too early with Omicron to know the exact R not because you need a large amount of data to accurately calculate R not, but the initial studies were putting it at somewhere in the 20 range, Oof. which is kind of a crazy and almost unbelievable number and may not actually be the true value. This is important to remember because even with Delta, initial data put the R not at about seven or eight and it ended up being closer to four to five. So measles, which is the most transmissible right. virus that we know of, exists at about an r naught of 20. And so we think the r naught of Omicron is very high. And um, we still don't know. Right now, they're predicting that Omicron represents about 3% of the cases that we're seeing right now. But I have a suspicion that that is a, 
a vast underestimate just because our ability to sequence is still limited and slow. Um, because I, I think it's very clear that in cities like New York and Boston, where I am now, that we are having a tidal wave increase in the number of cases and a lot of vaccine escape. And a lot of that is consistent with what we know we were to expect with Omicron kind of coming out of the Thanksgiving holiday. And I think the next two weeks leading up to and through the new year will tell us a lot more about what the next three to four months will look like. Okay, so I'm very confident saying this. If not 100%, 99% of the people that listen to this podcast are vaccinated, as are 99% of the people that you know. So let's say, and it, this is likely to happen, this will happen to people listening to the show. I hope not very many, but it could be more. You, you, you start losing your taste, or you've you got headaches or fatigue, and you get the rapid test, and you test positive. Okay, mm-hmm. what do you do? So right now, I, I've gone to Walgreens, I've gotten the thing, and the goddamn thing comes back the wrong color. What yeah. do I do at that point? So if you have symptoms and a positive rapid test, right. that presume you're positive. Okay. You are positive. All right. As a doctor, I'm going to treat you like you're positive, and right. I'm going to recommend right. that you behave as if you're positive. So, you quarantine for 10 days, even if you're vaccinated. Okay, I quarantine for 10 days. So I, I stay uh-huh. in my room. Mm-hmm. I, if somebody put the food outside, yep. to, to drill. Yep, and you make sure you have a pulse oximeter at home, and I would check your O2 values twice a day and monitor your fever curve and take Tylenol if you have fever. If you are in a vulnerable population, if you are 65 years old or have chronic health conditions, you may still be a candidate for Regeneron. But a lot of states are running out of Regeneron, the monoclonal antibodies. Right. And um, call your doctor. Find out if you are a candidate for Regeneron, if your doctor recommends Regeneron for you, if you're positive, even if you're vaccinated. Right. Um, if you are otherwise healthy and in good shape and younger than 65, you quarantine for 10 days, you monitor your symptoms, you call your primary doctor to make them aware, um, and, and you isolate. And if there are loved ones in the house who are vulnerable, if they are pregnant, if they are immunocompromised, consider having them go somewhere else as long as they test negative. <laughs> but, 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 so, but, but you wouldn't, okay, so I'm just saying, if, 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 I, if somebody has it, all right, yes. they're, they're old, all right, but otherwise sort of, okay, you're just feeling a little fatigued, should, should you go see your doctor or should you j- just hold off on engaging the healthcare system to something Yeah, I mean, if you're just a little fatigued and you're at home and your fever comes down with Tylenol and you're able to take in liquids and, you know, you're you're feeling well enough to watch a movie or read a book, then you're probably okay. But I would um, recommend that everybody goes on Amazon and orders a $15 pulse oximeter to have at home where you can check your oxygen oxygen values right. at home. And if that number dips below 94, call right. your doctor. Right. I've and had, I've had doctor, any number, me. right. I've had a number of family members get it and they all have, they were all calling me and, you know, blowing up. The, I mean, blowing. So I, I have one question. I'm going to turn it back over to Al. This is not related. I've always had great trust in medicine 
I always tell people, I would not let someone touch me who is not board certified. All right, is that a legit deal or is that, do you really have to, to get board certified? Do you have to go through really exacting standards or is it just all doctors take care of each other? I've always wanted to ask somebody that because I've always yeah. played great faith in that. Sure. So um, board certification is a very um, important metric for competency in medicine and medical doctors, for sure. And um, we're at a really interesting moment in healthcare where um, I think our system has really failed from a primary care standpoint. We have neglected primary care. We've undervalued primary care providers. And so a lot of the providers out there providing primary and preventative care to the people of America are actually not technically medical doctors. Many of them are very wonderful, very talented nurse practitioners um, or physician's assistants. Um, and many of them are working under the license of a board certified doctor who may or may not have a close um, handle on the recommendations that they're making. And our primary care providers across the country are stretched too thin and they're underpaid and they have patient panels that are way too large um, for any one person to be able to give really high quality preventative care. So um, my answer is yes and no. Board certification absolutely matters. Um, let me know if there's too much. Uh, no, 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 uh, no, okay. no, 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 no. So board certification absolutely matters for medical doctors. And especially if you're going to a specialist of any kind. And at the same rate, if the person that you can get access to is not necessarily a medical doctor, but a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant, it's, it's better to have somebody than nobody, right? Or it's better right. to have somebody near you than to only see your board-certified medical doctor every three years because it takes you three or four hours to drive downtown to see them. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. I just was just something. It was kind of a personal <laughs> question. I do it. Out of, I'll kick it back to you because Dr. Griggs is so on top of everything. Cornelia, I, um, um, I, I worry about young children. You have several children under under five. I have a four-year-old grandchild. What should we be doing about those kids? Um, uh, and, and in the near future, do you think they might be eligible for vaccinations? Yeah. So um, I think as a pediatric surgeon, I think about this all the time. And right now, the best way to protect our youngest children who are too young to be eligible for the vaccine is to create a bubble of immunity around them and to make sure that every adult who is physically present in their life is vaccinated. That is the best way to protect them. It's the best way to keep them safe um, and to get vaccinated and boosted, by the way. Um, so it is really important for those kids to have community and to be in the world and to be learning and going to school. And I am so happy to report that my children are actually better about wearing their masks than most adults. I think um, there's a lot of concern about asking young children to mask. And 
Um, it just hasn't panned out to be a problem, you know, for my three-year-old son, like wearing a mask at school is just part of his normal day to day now. And when you make it routine and you model it for them, he, he, he really doesn't object to it or have a problem with it. And I know some kids have, um, you know, sensory issues where they may have more difficulty with it, but, um, I think the fear of masking children is vastly overstated. Um, that being said, I, I think there's good reason to be optimistic for kids right now. Um, you know, there were some alarming headlines about Omicron out of South Africa, but at least so far in my hospital, we are not seeing a substantial uptick in hospitalized children. So I think there's, you know, there's, this urgency around a lot of the headlines that is very triggering for a lot of parents, especially for those who have kids under five and it can be very panic inducing, but I would just say, you know, take a deep breath. We're doing okay right now. So far, we're not seeing a tidal wave of pediatric hospitalizations in the U S but proceed cautiously. And if you are invited to a Christmas dinner and you know a bunch of the adults there are going to be unvaccinated, like it's okay to skip this year because you have young children at home. I was not optimistic about the timeline for the vaccine for under five about a month ago. And now I am more optimistic that we could be looking at um, an application for an emergency use use authorization in the early months of 2022. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. You, you uh, are a surgeon at Mass General, one of the world's great hospitals. What's, what's it like there? What's the effect this is having there? What, what toll uh, is it taking? And what do you hear about other hospitals that are not quite as renowned as Mass General? Yeah. So um, MTH is in pretty good shape right now, but all hospitals in the Northeast and in many parts of the country are experiencing a capacity crisis where um, we are just full to the brim. And um, there was a huge exodus of nurses all across the country and um, an ongoing exodus of nurses who are leaving um, their positions, either because of burnout or because they can get better pay um, by joining a travel nursing agency. And um, right now, um, the way things work is that if you take a position as a travel nurse, you will get paid four, five, six times as much as you will as a staff nurse at a hospital where you've been for five or more years. And um, that is a huge problem. And I don't have a perfect solution for it right now, but um, it's contributing to ongoing staffing shortages. So in some instances, when you call a hospital in the Northeast and they say they have no beds, it's actually not that they don't have the physical bed or the physical spaces that they have no bedside nurses to staff it. And a bed and a room is no good without a bedside nurse. And that is a huge contribution to the crisis right now. And it's not just nurses, it's respiratory therapists, it's x-ray techs, it's transport. It's a lot of those positions in the hospital that have been overtaxed and overburdened by the pandemic and undervalued, quite frankly, for not just through the pandemic, but always. And so 
that is a huge part of the crisis right now. And it means that any small uptick in hospitalizations as a result of the increase that we're seeing right now um, is going to put a lot of pressure on a system that is not to be dramatic in some parts of the country already on the verge of collapse. Uh, wow. So, so that's great. 20 years from now, there's two things I'm certain about. One, it's very unfortunate that I'll be dead. And secondly, there will be so much research done on the effect of this pandemic on people who are children at the time. But we're not going to come out of here and then we have a therapeutic and we have a vaccine and we go, phew, this shit's behind us. Yeah. The, the effects of this are going to be, the echo effect of this is going to be enormous. You'll still yeah. be teaching medical students. Mm-hmm. What areas would you like to, would you think somebody's going to investigate, 20, assume that we get this thing in a rearview mirror, which yeah. Yeah, at some point, what do, you, what do you anticipate areas that you'll want to see in sort of development of, of people who would say, nine years old in 2021. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, there, the Surgeon General, Dr. Murthy, recently released a report on a task force um, to address the massive mental health fallout that we are seeing in our nation's um, preteens and adolescents. Um, right now, more than any other time in my career or most pediatric providers' career, we are seeing entire floors of hospitals being filled up with young people, children, and young adolescents having major mental health crises, whether that's from anxiety or eating disorders or suicidal ideation. I'd seen children at younger ages than I've ever seen before having active suicidal ideation. And so I think the mental health fallout for our nation's youth as a result of the pandemic is enormous and will have ongoing and lasting effects on their well-being, their education, their future achievement. Um, and it, it is extremely worrisome as a pediatric provider. Wow. So... The, the, you know, no one knows for sure, all right? And, and we've been, you know, we've thought, I thought this thing was behind us in June, okay? And, and then <laughs> so I, 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 I get, yeah, I know, you, you get optimistic and it just slams you uh, uh, against the thing. But one of the things that people said, it sounds somewhat valid to me, I don't want to get hopefully, is that evolutionary virologists say, Sometimes the course of a virus is it tries to sustain itself in a way that it does that. It becomes more transmissible and less yeah. lethal. If the virus actually yeah. doesn't, to the extent that it can yeah. take, of which it can't, it doesn't want you to die. Right. It's just like you. We, it wants to exactly. stay alive. Exactly. So if you can imagine that the virus is a being, it incentivized to survive just as we all are. And the best way for a virus to survive is actually not to infect and kill off its host as quickly as possible, but to keep the host alive and infect as many people as possible. And so um, some virologists have subscribed strongly to the idea that the coronavirus will um, evolve to become less virulent 
and to cause less severe disease. And there is some early hope and some very cautious confirmation from Dr. Wolensky, the head of the CDC, that so far it appears that the cases as a result of the Omicron variant have been overall more mild. And by the way, good for everyone to know, associated with slightly different symptoms. Um, So um, less of the anosmia, which is the fancy word for loss of smell and taste, and more um, kind of generalized fatigue, muscle aches. In children in the UK, they're seeing a lot of rash. Um, So everyone should know that it could still be COVID, even if it doesn't seem to be the classic symptoms of the alpha and beta strains, such as cough, fever, you know, flu-like upper respiratory symptoms, runny nose, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it, 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 that may very well be the case. And that's one very strong theory out there. So, so I'll turn it back to Alvin just ask one question. I, I gather that you have some confidence in Dr. Olinsky and the CDC but what they put I, do. Up is, you do. I do. I think she's brilliant. And she um, used to be at MGH, my home and mother institution. And um, I, I really do have so much faith in Dr. Walensky and Dr. Fauci and those physicians who are leading the national response to the COVID pandemic right now. And I think one of the hard statements that I saw her make recently, which resonated with me having worked in television very briefly, is that it's hard to explain science in a soundbite. So if people are out there and feeling like, what is going on? What a mess. I thought we had this under control. I thought we were all doing the right thing. I did the right thing. I've been wearing my mask. I got my vaccine. I, you know, sat with my kids while they were out of school. Like, why are we still screwing up and who is still screwing up? The fact is, is that science happens slowly and our ability to just have a vaccine as quickly as we've had it and the ability to roll it out in the way that we have rolled it out in the grand scheme of scientific achievements is still incredibly remarkable. So I know there's this sense of despair that comes with having tasted a bit of relief and feeling like we felt in June that this was all going to be behind us and life would go on and we'd be able to plan weddings and vacations and have Christmas and celebrate and be together and hug each other without fear. Um, and we, we are still very much marching towards that. Like this, this pandemic will end masks will go away. Um, but we we have to embrace that human resilience and the ability to understand that our nation's scientists are working fast and furious to bring this pandemic to an end. But but things will change as there are new variants, new data, and new strains, and we all have to um, learn to be better at handling uncertainty so, as so we one, have learned. One more question. I promise you, I'll ask, but I got to ask this and turn it back to you. Now. So these therapeutics, at least for what I see as a lay person, they sound really promising. Yeah. yeah how fast, give, just without going through the details of the process, assume that everything holds up, how soon will these therapeutics be in the toolkit of fighting this on, on, on an optimistic soon. scenario? 
I'm I'm optimistic. I mean, the data is still really early, but I I think it's realistic to think that they could be rolled out in the calendar year. Please hurry, shit! I'm gonna get this shit. I need it. Okay, out to you. <laughs> uh, well, I just I know James joins me in thanking. We have never had a guest who informed our listeners as well as you did, Cornelius. <laughs> and I just I I want to I want to just tell him a little bit. I'm gonna brag just for a little bit. Cornelius, a daughter of one of our favorite guests, former New York Times editor Jill Abramson and Henry Griggs. And she and her husband, also a very accomplished surgeon, both graduated magna cum laude. She from Harvard, he from Duke. James, with genes like that, I think I want to get their young kids in a show. <laughs> well, she's as delightful on the show as she is on the phone call. And Dr. Grant, we appreciate you so much. And uh, I learned a lot. And I, I know that Al did and the people that listened to the show. And we can't thank you enough. Oh, it was my pleasure. Always fun talking to you guys. Thanks for having me. Go take care of those kids, Cornelia. All right. I will. Bye, guys. Uh -huh. Hey, James, there is no better time to catch up on books you always wanted to read than over the holidays. And if you're like us, you love adding new content and information to your mental library. That's why we recommend Blinkist. I just bookmarked it today. I don't want to have to search for it. Blinkist takes top nonfiction books and gives you the key takeaways in text and audio explainers called Blinks that you can digest in just 15 minutes. You can use Blinks to tackle procrastination, get started on developing an idea or business, take your projects to the next level, or get caught up with titles like What Happened by Hillary Clinton and A Promised Land by Barack Obama. They've blinked thousands of titles in 27 categories. And if you like podcasts, you all do like podcasts. They've blinked those too with Shortcast. And it's all in one app, right in your pocket, so you can learn anytime, anywhere with Blinkist. James, we're going to get them on sometime, right? I, I definitely want to get these people on, and I definitely want whoever is the content person to explain how they do this on this scale. Right. It's driving me nuts. I mean, just and I, sometimes I read something I know something about. Unlike 98% of the things that they, they do, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about Hamlet, you know, more than a sophomore English course. But on the stuff that I know something about, it's just dead on good. So when you see something like that, it really gives you trust in the product that the stuff that you don't know anything about is actually good also. But I mean, that, 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 that shit is spot on, I can tell you. So right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash warroom to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash warroom. Get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash warroom or look for the link in our show notes. All right, now for our questions uh, from, we kind of love our listeners, uh, James. 
Beverly in Cape Cod, Massachusetts says it appears that significant voting influence is in rural parts of America. Some areas seem to be limited there to right-wing channels and news and billboards. We need some true facts communicated to those folks. Some groups, you know, what should you do? Send postcards, letters, write letters to the editors of small papers. What, James, do you think is the way to communicate to at least cut those <laughs> margins in rural America? Yeah, first of all, it, it, the question goes to something really deep and important. 18% of the United States elects 52 senators. Now, there's some, Vermont elects two senators. All right, there, there, you know, there, there's some, uh, uh, but, but this right. overwhelmingly favors the North Dakotas, the South Dakotas, the Wyomings, the Montanas, the Alaskas, on and on and on. And also the way they told college. So, so these rural white voters have much more influence than, say, a, a, an urban voter of color. Which I, don't, I don't particularly crazy about the term, but it, it's good enough to use for right now. And, and, and we have lost these people left and right. And, you know, my theory is we're never going to win them back. But the, the question is, how do you lose by less? All right? And the way you do that is, like, I'm, I'm from rural, rural America, and there are different people in rural America. Some are white, some are black, some are male, female, some went to college, some didn't. Different sexual orientation, different everything. If we need to pick a strategy to just get 10% more of this vote than we traditionally get, which is doable, it's difficult, but it's doable because if we don't, the, the, the law of concentrated numbers is going to doom you, and you just can't vacate one part of the playing field. Now, the good news is all the things that, a lot of the things that urban Democrats care about are the same thing that rural, potential rural voting Democrats care about. That's, you know, uh, Social Security, Medicare, access to health care, greater wage growth, all right? Uh, better infrastructure, and that's it, 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 that's the kind of stuff we don't talk about. It also relates to what you don't say. You don't come across with this metropolitan smugness, this urban arrogance that we know more than they do, and they're all stupid and we're all smart, and too much that comes through. So that, there's that, there's a lot of style points you're going to get rated on here. Yeah. But remember, we just want to go from getting 15% in some of these counties to getting 23%. One of the things great. I think picking up on your point there, you can't let the other side dominate the agenda. It can't be all about guns and God and abortion and cultural issues because in some, I mean, there are, I think, 12 states, uh, almost all red states in America that have not um, uh, participated in Medicaid expansion. And almost every... One of those states, rural hospitals have closed. They've closed for one simple reason, because a lack of Medicaid expansion. And you have to drive that point home. You have to drive home if they pass a daycare provision in this, a universal pre-K. You have to drive home stuff that affects their lives. And as you say, don't be condescending. And and I think uh, I think if done right, you can you know instead of yeah. instead of losing seventy three to twenty seven, you can lose you know seventy I, to thirty. I, this would be risky, 
But I think he he has. I think this would be in President Biden's skill set. They should do some town halls in rural America. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and let people say this. When I see a Democrat, sir, this is what I see. Right. All right. And and and, and let him. But but you you know showing up is you get a lot of points for showing up. I agree. He should do it. And, some, and, he's, and very, he's actually very good at that kind of stuff. Some of his cabinet can do it, too. And I think Absolutely. A, you know, Jennifer Granholm can well, do she it. she can do it. Mitch Landrieu. Tom Vilsack won a Vilsack couple of elections. You don't win you know, elections in Iowa. Does he? Do lousy and rural. Obama always said he was his best cabinet. Yeah. Though. Joey. He's a great guy. Joey. Put, put him out there. I, you know, I like that. Joey in France guesses, does American democracy deserve to survive? It may turn out that Americans are too bigoted, too ignorant, too delusional to be citizens, and that they deserve to be the subjects of an, uh, of an autocracy that does as little as possible to empower their lives. Look, Joey, uh, there are lots of bad things and there are lots of views that I don't understand. I don't understand how Donald Trump uh, got uh, even 7 million votes, much less 74 million. Uh, and we're in trouble. I'm worried about where we're going. I'm worried about democracy in this country. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a flag-waving American exceptionalist to you except to say that we are the hope for much of the world and we're the hope for much of our own people. And when we do it right, we do it pretty darn well. Yeah, so I want to just go back. I just had a thought on this sort of rural America thing, and I'll go for it. i tell you something that ought to happen. Senator Raphael Warnock ought to do like a town hall in northwest Georgia. That guy is really good on his feet. Right. All right? So he says, well, you're going you're gonna to have a, a, a black preacher from Atlanta who's going to show up in, you know, Dalton, Georgia or something like that. Yeah, go there and let – and they can take their best shot at you. Mm -hmm. They're not as smart as you, Reverend Warnock. And, and I, I think it would go like go right in, go right into the lines. Yeah, then. yeah. All right. And and I, I I think this guy is one of the the truly underappreciated talents uh, in in the Democratic Party yeah. right now. And yeah. I, I'm 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 very curious to see how you know. Hopefully, his reelection goes well. You know. And, and James, we oh, have a couple. You know, Bart Gelman last week really stirred a lot of our listeners. And we have right. two, I'm going to combine two questions. One well, let me, let me finish the yeah. question you had before. I just want to talk about Warnock for a second. Yeah. So people around me have always been amused because I don't just suffer few fools well. I'm actually amused by fools, all right? And what happened to me is, is the people that I laughed at, shit, they might be a majority now, all right? What, what, what? What I thought was humorous fooldom that, you know, I would make fun of, I don't know if we're not crossing into the era where these people might be a, a, a dangerously close to being a, a majority of the people in the United States. They're not humorous anymore. Yeah. Well, um, this is people picking up on Bart Gelman's point last week. There are 20 million people in America who think the election was rigged and they're willing to engage in violence to overturn it. Uh, Gordon in Norwood, Michigan uh, says, of the 21 million who embrace the, ne the, the necessity of violence, how many are law enforcement, military, or retired from either of those? And Carol in Napa, California uh, asked the same question and she said, just imagine if there were 21 million so-called Antiba, wherever they are, black Americans who were uh, committed to violence what we would be saying then. I think uh, those two, two pretty interesting points, James. 
You, you, you're damn right, though, on every point out when Bart was on the show. There's 18 million people live in metropolitan New York. Well, just go on your computer and do an aerial photo of the New York metropolitan area. And there's more of these people out there in the country than the artists go see in that photo. Think of all of the traffic going out to New Jersey and Connecticut and all of the people on the subway and all of the people in Yankee Stadium. You know, there are more of these insurrectionist assholes out there are than there are people that live in metropolitan New York. Stew on that. Yep. For sure. Um, uh, I think, uh, I worry there are too many former military and former uh, police officers. The great Kathleen Ballou, who we've had on this show several times, uh, by the way, she has a she has a, uh, a really fascinating book, uh, Compendium of White Nationalists. If anyone wants to get it, it's University of Chicago Press, I believe. Kathleen Blue, and you can you can read about. Uh, you know, th- this is difficult, but I like the idea of mandating that the, the military and police forces and everything have to take a vaccine right. because the, I guarantee you, there's a high correlation between assholeness. And vaccine hesitancy. Yeah, yeah, there okay. is. Okay, I might not be a hundred percent. No, it's not a hundred percent. It's not my there white, white trashology yeah. is my area of expertise, and there's certainly no no lack of that. I defer but, but to you. I, I, I will willing to to say that you could do a a, a chart and take assholeness and vaccine hesitancy, and you would find a very strong correlation. James, another Californian, Nate, says, let's say in 2024 Republican state legislatures throw out legitimate votes in places like Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, appoint their own electors. What kind of a crisis are we in? A big effing crisis, Nate. And you better believe that's exactly what they plan to do. So there's two things that have to happen to prevent that. Number one, pass that voting rights bill, which does create some checks uh, on that on on that sort of stuff. And number two, in key states, you want to elect governors in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and in Michigan, secretaries of state, uh, because you want to make sure that people who have any involvement in that uh, electoral process uh, are not going to be part of the Trump brigade. So, as you know, repeatedly, I think the most significant event in modern American history was Bush v. Gore because it told the Supreme Court and the Congress and everybody, fuck it, you can get away with this, all right? Now, what's going to happen? So you watch an election night, and they come in and, you know, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, pick a state, it comes in and says the Democrats are 100,000 votes up, 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 they're 40,000 votes up. And the legislature comes in and says, no, we're going to award this to someone else. I, I think that's going to cause a lot of freaking problems, all right? Everybody seems to be in a view, well, if they do it, nothing's going to happen. They'll just go in and steal the election just like they did in, 2020, in, in, in the year 2000. I am not so convinced that it's going to be that easy to get away with, but we're probably going to have it tested because they, they're going to go through with this. Well, then, so we'll test it. I, I think the best way to, to, to test it ahead of time is uh, look at those elections carefully and, um, and, and, and I'd add Arizona to that list too. Right, uh, it, you, know, right. you can pick up. You know, right. There'll be new states that'll come on. But it, yeah, and Georgia, of when course. You, if their vote count comes in, 
in one favor in the legislature, yeah. do something else. People are not accustomed to that happening. But I have to well, tell you... Well, a lot you, of things have happened, James, that people aren't accustomed to, I'm afraid. Right, I, but, I, I agree. Know, I, so, I, 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 don't know, I, I don't know the answer. And pass that, that bill. Terry, and speaking of Arizona, Terry in Tucson, this is to you, James. Who do you think would be the most dynamic candidate or candidates in 2024 if Biden chooses not to run for president? How deep is the Democrats' backbench? And if not a strong one, what should we do to build it up? Mitch Landrew, Mitch Landrew, Mitch Landrew. You got a running mate for him? Best, the single <laughs> best communicator not named Bill Clinton I've ever seen in my life. And if that guy runs, and when people see what it's like to have somebody that can think on their feet, that can, 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 can digest and, and put out a message, they're going to be impressed. And, you know, he comes from a... Red state. He was elected statewide. He was the president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. He was a successful mayor in a major American city. He now has, which is one of the most important jobs in the entire federal government, running the infrastructure program. And I, I have no idea if he's going to run, but if he does, he could lap any potential candidate in that field. Well, I think I, I, I would agree. He'd be my first choice, too. I'd add some people to the list also. You know what I'd right. add? I'd add Jennifer Granholm. Uh, she, I, I, she can't. Well, that's right. She's she born, in, born Canada. in Canada. That's right. I'm. Yeah. I, I, I would put Jennifer as high. As, that's a shame because she, she would be good. Yeah, right. She would be good. Right. But she all is, right, she is. Great. We'll stick. We'll stick with Mitch. Um, we have John in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'll bet she's a Packer fan. He asked about. Yeah. He asked about <laughs> Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever met anyone from Green Bay who's not a Packer fan that would admit it? Oh my uh, God! The great Ann Devroy. Right. Uh, he, I see only had David Obie and Paul Gigot, the editorial page editor of the Wall Street Journal, were both from Wisconsin. They agreed on absolutely nothing, except when the Packers were in the playoff, they'd get together and talk about the Packers. Anyway, he asked, John asked about Kevin McCarthy. He said, I think he knows exactly the score and made a deal with himself, the devil, to be speaker at whatever the cost after being so close and blowing it with his idiotic Hillary comments on Benghazi. Give us your thoughts on what you believe Kevin is thinking in the deep, dark of night with a full awareness of how much he's humiliated himself. First of all, John, uh, if you walk through Kevin McCarthy's deepest real thoughts, you would not get your ankles wet, uh, and except it would be very dark down there because all he cares about is his own ambition. He's a man without spine, without character. Uh, I first met him, I don't know, 13 years ago. I thought, this is an interesting guy. He's a real pal. He knows every district. Uh, I, I've, I've grown to be contemptuous of Kevin McCarthy. You know, first of all, he, he's a man of, obviously, of limited intelligence, but... Unlimited cowardice, and that, and that's always a dangerous combination to have, is to be pretty dull and, and, and pretty much of a coward through and through. And, and the, 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 the problem with McCarthy is, is, is unlike some of the other people, or Cruz or, or whatever, he, he's not a, like a personally, it, at least before all of this, you would think he's a kind of a fun-loving guy, you know, likes to have a couple of beers, you don't agree with, you know, but knows everything. And Jesus, man, what what he's done to himself is his 
ability to absorb self-humiliation is just amazing. And he lives just in amazing. fear every day. How would you like to have any job uh, in your life living in fear? I, 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 I don't know. I, if yeah. I had to get up as, as afraid as he is yeah. every morning, I, 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 I think it's a, a, a terribly frustrating way to go through life, but I think he's stupid enough not to be frustrated yeah, by I, it. I agree. Good question. Hey, now we want to tell you about a delicious meal service perfect for the holidays. HelloFresh. HelloFresh meals are ready in around 30 minutes or less. Plus, with their quick and easy meals, 20-minute recipes or low prep and easy cleanup options. You can get food on the table quicker. So if you can spend more holiday time, then with your loved ones. You'll have this season's entertainment covered with options like their holiday cheese and charcuterie board and skinny dip dark chocolate peppermint almonds. And it's all delivered right to your door. We love that you can easily customize your order on the app within minutes with fresh, high-quality ingredients that go from the farm to your kitchen in less than a week. And HelloFresh is a can't-beat value. There's an average savings of $65 a month, not to mention the time you'll save grocery shopping, plus your whole family will love it. Right, James? Yeah, and the other thing is you get this stuff, don't admit that you got it from somewhere. If you get that charcuterie platter or the cheese platter, or anything that they put out, i tell you, it's going to be 100% first class. It just act like you did it. I know, I know the HelloFresh people are going to want credit for, for all the good work they did, but amateur chefs like me, you know, go, oh, Dad, look at this. This is great. How did you do that? So, well, you know, I can't tell you. It's a trade secret. <laughs> but, this, but this stuff is, you will, you will even, and if you're a dad, you will even impress your daughter with this. And that, I can tell you, is hard to do. I haven't gotten there yet, James, but when I do, there. I'll let you know. Okay? Let me know. Let me know. <laughs> I've been trying for 32 years, but yeah. uh, anyway. I know the feeling. Yeah. Uh, you go to HelloFresh.com slash WarRoom14, and you use code WarRoom14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. For America's number one meal kit, remember, go to HelloFresh.com slash WarRoom14, and use code WARROOM14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts, or look for the link in our show notes. All right, James, start the drum roll. This is our final 2021 Ivy League Sphincter Hall of Fame inductees. Remember, only Ivy League graduates who are real assholes are eligible. For the benefit of any new listeners, let me just quickly run through our current members. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Donald Trump, of course, was the captain you know, for life. Elise Stefanik, Ken Starr, Steve Benham, Lauren Ingram, Ron DeSantis, Mike Pompeo, and Alan Dershowitz. The historic or deceased mm. Ivy League Sphincter Hall of Famers are John C. Calhoun, Roy Cohn, Woodrow Wilson, Rutherford B. Hayes, and Nicholas Murray Butler. And now for the final inductees for this year. I'll start. It's Sam Alito, Supreme Court Ooh. Justice, Princeton and Yale Law School. This is one angry man, even though by hook or crook, his side holds the upper hand on the high court. He lashed it out the press for writing about uh, the court manufacturing controversy over shadow dockets, a rush process. Actually, this complaint, Mr. Justice, was made most persuasively by your colleague. You were sitting there, Elena Kagan, who really 
you know, let you have it on that one. He assailed the religious bigotry of liberals. I suppose that would be the church-going liberals like Barack Obama and Joe Biden versus, say, that paragon of religious virtue, Donald Trump. What do you think, James? Well, what about Nancy Pelosi and Newt Gingrich? Yeah. I mean, it, this guy has got something happened to him when he was a kid, and he, he never got over it. And he's, you know, it's like a lot of people. He's angry. He's pissed off. The only difference between him and most angry and pissed off people is he's got one vote out of nine on the Supreme Court, which is now ascended. And the man is chronically unhappy, is chronically angry, and is committed to protecting power at, at every point. And I, I, it's just, it, it, he is a richly deserving uh, uh, of this honor, and he can take his, assume his place, his rightful place among the, the top inductees of the asshole Ivy League Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Our next finger goes to Tom Cotton. You want to start on that, James? Well, the I, I, I only thing I, I would vote, I, I think Cotton is very worthy, by the way. Don't get me wrong. All right? Right. But, but, but Alito is Mariano Rivera. Yeah. Tom Cotton is Dennis Exley. All right? Not to say that Dennis actually wasn't good. That's right. But, but Mariano Rivera might be the greatest, certainly the greatest relief pitcher ever lived, maybe the most valuable baseball player ever lived. I, I, I say Alito is, holds a very, very high place in here. Not that, not that Cotton's not deserving. Don't get me wrong, Senator Cotton. I, uh, a very exalted place in assholeness. But I, I, I don't think you add up to Alito only for the reason that you're one of 100 and Alito's one of nine. Well, that's a good point. Uh, he's a uh, Cotton is, is Harvard and Harvard. He wrote a column for the New York Times, quite controversial, in which he said we ought to send the troops in to quell the, quote, criminals, end quote, protesting the George Floyd murder, just as Eisenhower did in Little Rock, Cotton wrote in 1957. Uh, first of all, most of those protesters were not violent. The vast majority were not. There was no state or local authority that requested the military. And, and, and Senator Cotton a little lesson about your home state. Ike sent in the 101st Airborne to Little Rock because a governor, Orwell Faubus, was disobeying a federal court order and trying to prevent the integration of the schools. But James, the thing that gets him not up with Alito, but gets him close there, is he, he has recently said he wasn't going to lift a hold on important Biden nominees until Senator Dick Durbin apologized for interrupting him earlier this year. Oh, Poor, poor Tommy. The Senate. I'll tell you what, he's given, he's given, he's given the lead a hell of a run. The Senate, Senate would be better off, you know, James, if a lot more people would interrupt him. But our next one, which, uh, which I will start with, is Jeffrey Clark. Jeffrey Clark, who probably isn't as well known, he's a Harvard man who a year ago as assistant attorney general tried to subvert the election and sandbag his own boss, the attorney general. He went behind his back to the White House, was dealing with Trump to try to. to, to try to foment and do something about the big lie. Fortunately, principled conservatives, namely the then Attorney General, stood up and he failed. Now he's stonewalling the January 6th committee. Wonder why? Well, all right, in, in the Hall of Fame, you know, where we're according, you know, Justice Alito, like Willie Mays, like status. Right. Okay. Look, I think, unlike, I, I think he's like Ted Lyons, a pie trainer. Okay, I mean he's, 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 he's there. Okay, I, I, I voted yes. Yeah, you know he 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 does, he does not even approach the assholeness of right. Alita or Cotton, but 
he's worthy enough to be inducted. And so, Mr. Clark, uh, you've been a second rater all your life. You're now in our Swink the Hall of Fame, but you're even a second-rate asshole. Y yeah, yeah, you are. He was not a unanimous choice by any means. No, but he no. got just. But, a, but he, he is worthy. He got enough to get in. Okay. Yeah, he got seventy-five point one percent. Here's the next one, James. Which I think, um, you know, let's see. Let's get your take on it. Richard Sackler, a Columbia Lion, the Ooh. former chairman Ooh. of Purdue Pharma, the marketing mastermind of OxyContin. Ooh. Man, I, I I tell you, he's it's it's different. But even, you know, we remember we had Alex Gibney right. on the show right. on the Crime of the Century, and, and then when you watch that the movie Dope Sick, oh man, this this is one of the, the the really truly rotten human beings that you can imagine. I, I, it, it the thing about the Sacklers are they all brilliant, and they're they're totally amoral people, right. and and I. Why do these people want their names on the art museums? I don't know. You got to figure that. You know, and now of course they're, they're, they're all taking it off. Right. You want to buy respectability because they don't have any. But but I, that that gives you that you're killing people and you say right. I have a right. one named right. after my family in a mat. I, I look. I know they do, and people accord them that. I, I I just don't understand that the high end art philanthropy as well as I should. And I'm probably going to die not understand it because it's really not the most important thing in the world on my mind. Well, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And, and with uh, OxyContin, communi entire communities were oh. wiped out. Thousands, oh. I mean, really, really tens of thousands of lives oh. were lost. Peoples uh, who survive uh, will never be the same. And all the oh. while, Mr. Sackler and his corrupt family, they were laughing all the way to the bank. And, and they knew what it was. Right. They were pushing it. They were paying off the salesmen. They were right. paying off everybody. I mean, it was just, you know, the most aggressive, greedy thing that you can imagine. But, yeah. but before I watch Alex Gibney's, oh, huh. but just crime of the century is two parts. And, and but, you know, he is a richly deserving of his pace. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to put, uh, I guess I should call him Dr. Sackler. I'm gonna put him in the Stan Musial category. Wow, pretty goddamn high. Wow, okay, but he's right. Yes, sir. It's not. It's not quite Aaron or Maze, but it's awful close. It's awful close. It's awful. It's close. awful close. All right, all right. Uh, you know, Stan the Man Sackler. Uh, uh, there you go. Final one. Our final inductee, James. You can start on this one too. J.D. Vance. All right. So I'm not gonna say that J.D. Vance is Ted Williams because he's clearly not. Right. All right. But the thing about J.D. Vance is, is that he was the great authority on uh, rural whites. Yeah, he grew up in Ohio. He, he went to Yale Law, and he was telling us what we ought to be thinking about this. And he was telling us, you know, that, that Trump didn't represent the, the, the values of the true heartland and the true people like that, okay? And by the way, his book was well-written. All right, he's not not a guy would, and you know, I guess there's a place in literature or, or, or something where he just completely sold himself out by running for the Senate in in, in Ohio, and it, and it's a good example of how fame drives people to do. Think of just for the moment, Liz Cheney is. 
much more thoughtful conservative than J.D. Vance, all right? And think of the way that history will view Liz Cheney and think of the way that history will view J.D. Vance, all right? It has nothing to do with ideology. It has everything to do with who are you. And, and, and here's a guy that had a unique upbringing, that had unique education, unique experience, that just decided he was going to throw it all over the fence. And he's not going to win because they're going to vote for that crazy-ass Josh Mandel. And he's he's gone from having a a respectable place, a, you know, a, a guy with like a, a different view that, that people should think about and digest, and to being a, 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 hippo, a hypocrite and a clown. I mean, well, I, I, you're he, right. He, he called, he said in 16 that Trump was reprehensible, that his, his policies or his views were uh, ranging from immoral to absurd. He voted for someone else. And then he decided to run, and he went down to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring, oh. the Cipperine. I mean, I don't know if he got his uh. hands and knees or not. I don't know if he pulled a Mark Meadows, uh, but he was down there drooling. And, um, you know, so any notion... Yeah, I, I, on, on the level of hypocrisy, he, he's up there with Mays and Eric. He is. He he's is. Just, it's not enough of no, a complete I, I package. I would say he's probably our third or fourth strongest candidate, but a worthy, worthy candidate. Ooh, definitely. I oh, want to tell everybody out there that this is the end of the 2015 class, but like Cooperstown, we will have a new class inducted uh, every year, every every period that we can. So keep your recommendations coming in. Remember, they got to be Ivy League and an Ivy League sphincter of first class, like the ones we had today. Did you say 2015? I meant to say 2022. Did I say 15? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I did. <laughs> they can, okay. Hey, James. They, they'll hey, take James. a listen. Hey, James. Hey, James. When you hey, age, six when years. age or your memory plays games Six with. years. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd check out the links to our sponsors, The Jordan Harbinger Show, Blinkist, and HelloFresh in the show notes. We really thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week. We have a special show next week, you know, so you gotta you gotta tune in as we continue our war room planning.